The story of the Magi is remarkable. It's a story of faith and providence and hope. And recently, I've started to see something in this story that I didn't used to see was there. And it's become game-changing for me. If you were with us in our adult Sunday school class back in December on the 19th, then we explored some of these thoughts together, and I want to unpack them further. When we think of the story of the wise men, we usually only think of one set. It's the wise men from the East. But there's another. There are two. There are both groups are highly religious, highly educated, but they react so differently to the spiritual dimension present. The first are the kings or the magi from the East. They're the kings of Orient that we just sung about. They're perhaps astronomers. They're the ones who make it to baby Jesus. The second group are the chief priests and the scribes. You can call them the Magi from the West. And you really need to be able to hold both. Let's start with the Magi from the East. Right off the bat, they see the alluring star of God and they feel called and they follow it. They land in Jerusalem, where, and, but they need to know, where do I go next? This shows us that they are intelligent groups of people, but they don't know scripture. They're not Jewish. They haven't been steeped in the stories of old. They couldn't tell you the difference between Micah or King David. They aren't locals. They don't know the history, but they feel compelled to follow the call of God and to worship their newborn king. And as it turns out, God still works this way. You may be here this morning and you really have no idea why. That's okay. You may feel like you've been traveling down this spiritual road for some time and you're not really sure where it is you're headed. That's okay too. Do what the Magi from the East do. Keep going. Keep going and following Bethlehem's star, and when appropriate, surround yourself with people of faith. They'll point you to Christ. That's what the Magi from the East do. It took asking the religious leaders in Jerusalem in order to get the final piece of their puzzle. They needed to know Micah's prophecy that the star would settle over Bethlehem, which brings up a great point. Faith is a quest. You have to follow it and participate in it in order to experience it. I mean, that's one reason why our tagline at First Baptist has had such staying power. The three verbs of do, love, and walk, they force you to get out there, to join in what God is doing, to get going because your soul needs you to do something and your soul needs you to love something and to walk towards something in order to find meaning and purpose in this world. I mean, that's what the Magi from the East are doing and it leads them to Jesus. And the same can be true for us. Now, the Magi from the West. This is the group that really are intriguing to me. They're the priests and the scribes. They don't follow the star and they don't quest. So here's a group of people who have been steeped in the stories of old. They know who God is and they definitely know the difference between Micah and King David. They literally know 
where the newborn king is to be born, but they don't go themselves. Why not? It's sad to even ask this question because it's so clear. They have lost sight of awe and wonder. Faith for them is a set of facts. It's dogma. It's certainty. They see no need to quest because they've got it all packaged real nicely. In 2022, don't be like them. Don't settle on what you think you already know about God and just pack it in. Don't let your fear or your apathy stifle your attempt to get to Jesus. Because faith is a quest. You have to give yourself the freedom to admit that you don't have it all figured out. It's not packaged neatly. And it's okay to let yourself learn and to grow. And you can open your soul up to wonder and mystery and awe. I mean, the dichotomy between these two sets of wise men, it's just so clear to me. I mean, the Magi from the East, they know how to quest. They, but the Magi from the West, they refuse. And guess which group makes it to Jesus? Exactly. So here's a question you need to ask. Which set of Magi are you? Are you from the East or the West? Are you open to mystery and wonder and intrigue? Or are you stuck, rooted in an unmovable faith? Answer this honestly. It's going to tell you the direction you're headed in 2022. God, just give me a sign. This phrase is one that has been thought or spoken aloud or prayed by many people over the years. When we are feeling lost or unsure of a direction to go, oftentimes we turn to the one who knows all things and we plead for a glimpse or a hint to tell us what we should do. Most often this plea is expressed when the journey is hard, when we are searching for a sign of hope or we are longing for purpose. I'm sure that there are people who ask God to show them a sign in times of joy and happiness. But my personal experience is that this call out to God most often comes when big decisions need to be made or when we are searching for something to guide us. The Magi in the East weren't necessarily looking for a sign. They may have sensed that something was going on in the larger universe around them, but I don't think they anticipated the journey that they were about to embark on. And scripture tells us that we have, as we have already heard, that the journey didn't end when the star arrived in Jerusalem. But somehow, they knew something was different. They knew as soon as they witnessed the brilliance of the star in the night sky that it was important to follow it and see where it led. They weren't sure of what was waiting for them when they got to their destination. They weren't even sure where the end of the road was. All they knew was that something or someone was telling them to get up and go. And so they did. As Barrett mentioned, the Magi from the East were not a part of the Jewish tradition. The words of the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the Hebrew people would not have been a part of their upbringing. The messages and warnings from the prophets didn't mean anything to them. 
And yet, when we look at scripture, we find connecting points between these strangers from a faraway land and the words from the people and prophets that we know. Isaiah 60 says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Now, I will admit that reading this passage seems too, almost too good to be true when it comes to figuring out if the Magi from the East were predestined to arrive in Bethlehem. It seems a little suspicious to me that the gifts that are mentioned in Isaiah are the exact same gifts mentioned in Matthew. And it seems like more than just a coincidence that the cities that were mentioned by the prophet are all located east of Jerusalem. And in Matthew, we are told that these, this group of people comes from this vague place in the east. Do we really think that Isaiah wrote these words and then 500 years later they played out exactly as the, uh, the disciple Matthew said? The truth is, I don't think it really makes a difference. It doesn't make a difference if the writer of Matthew knew these words from Isaiah 60 as he was writing his gospel. It doesn't matter if he decided to take creative freedom and to weave in a few details from these ancient words into the current context. What matters is that one time there was a prophet that talked about that there would be a day when the glory of God was so obvious and so amazing that people couldn't help but come and see what it was all about. What matters is that there were people who experienced God calling to them through a brilliant star in the sky and they trusted and followed and they were forever changed. Ten years ago, I was a stranger in a new city. I just moved to Richmond so that I could begin attending seminary full time. And in my first semester of seminary, I signed up to take a pastoral care class. Part of the requirements from this class was that I needed to do an internship, either through a church I was attending or go to an assisted living or physical rehab facility and do an internship there. I had just moved to the city and I did not yet have a church that I was involved with, and so I decided to intern with a rehab facility that was connected to a hospital in town. Long story short, I was told to show up at the facility on a Sunday morning to help lead worship. And when I arrived, I discovered that I had been told the wrong day and the wrong time for the worship service. So, being a good pastor's kid who was going to school to become a pastor, and I was dressed in my Sunday best, and it was 10.30 on a Sunday morning, I went to church. A few peers of mine from the seminary attended a church called Tabernacle, and so that was where I decided to go, because at least I would recognize a few familiar faces in a still unfamiliar city. When I walked into the sanctuary, my eyes were immediately drawn heavenward. Hanging from the ceiling were blue and white bolts of fabric creating a sky-like canopy above the pews, and scattered amongst the fabric were bright Moravian stars. I wasn't sure what kind of magical place I'd just entered, but little did I know that this Sunday would be the first of many Sundays that I worshipped in this sanctuary. 
Because you see, I'd shown up at Tabernacle during the season of Epiphany, which is the season where we most often learn about the ministry of Jesus. Each week, we are introduced to another story of Christ as he performs miracles or heals people, or he shares stories that we now know as parables that help us understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven on earth. On that Sunday, after the service was over, I was handed a silver star with a word written on it. It was explained to me that a few weeks before, on Epiphany Sunday, every person in worship was given a gift. It was the gift of a star. On the stars were written words that were meant to be carried with its recipient throughout the year. Since that Sunday, I have received nine other star words, each and every one of them a gift. Sometimes the word is exactly the gift that I needed. Sometimes it was a gift that took a little bit longer to appreciate. I put the star somewhere where I will see it regularly throughout my day and throughout the year. Sometimes it is taped to my bathroom mirror. Sometimes I use it as a bookmark. Sometimes I place it on the mantle in my living room or on the desk in my office. But I always make sure to place it in a spot where it catches my eye and will remind me of the ways that I am being guided by the word throughout the year. Thousands of years ago, a group of magi received a gift that was meant exactly for them. They received the gift of a star. The star didn't have a word written on it, but it still guided them over the year or two that it took for them to reach the Christ child. So many times they could have turned around and gone back to where they came from. They could have reached Jerusalem and been told, you still have farther to go, and given up because this journey had already lasted longer than they planned and was harder than they anticipated. But something or someone told them to keep going, to not stop yet, to trust. It seems like when we read scripture, we find stories of grand signs or gestures that show us the ways that God is speaking and moving in the world. I have to admit that sometimes I get a little jealous that there seems to be fewer bright stars shining in the sky showing us where to go. But that doesn't mean that there aren't signs along the way. There are signs all around us, in the relationships we have with other people, in our encounters with others, in our own personal times of worship and prayer and devotion. There are still gifts given to us that remind us of God's presence and God's guidance in our everyday lives. We just need to be on the lookout for the signs, for the gifts, for the stars. I'll close with this poem from Ann Weems called Star Giving. And as you hear it, may it be a reminder to you that we follow a God who is still moving. And that same God is always listening for us to call out to be shown a sign when we need it most. And God is always ready to respond. Star Giving by Ann Weems. What I'd really like to give you for Christmas is a star. Brilliance wrapped up in a package, something you could keep in the pocket of your jeans or in the pocket of your being. Something to take out in times of darkness, something that would never snuff out or tarnish, something you can hold in your hand, something for wonderment, something for pondering, something that would remind you of what Christmas has always meant. God's advent light into the darkness of this world. But stars are only God's forgiving, and I must be content to give you words and wishes and packages without stars. 
but I can wish you life as radiant as the star that announced the Christ child's coming, and as filled with awe as the shepherds and the magi who stood beneath its light. And I can pass on to you the love that has been given to me, ignited countless times by others who have knelt in Bethlehem's light. Perhaps, if you ask, God will give you a star. <laughs>